1989, I was in 10th grade. Hard rock and metal riding high on the charts and in all the arenas. But there were a handful of bands who managed to dodge the glitz and glamour of it all and put out some good old-fashioned, sleazy at times, good old rock and roll music. Bands like Circus of Power, Dangerous Toys, Junkyard, and Tora Tora managed to keep it simple, real, and above all, timeless. Tora Tora reunited after many years away and this year announced a new record deal with Frontiers Records and even released a new single called Rose of Jericho, which is absolutely outstanding from their forthcoming album, Bastards of Beale. And with that being said, I'm going to stop talking to, by myself and I'm going to introduce Anthony Quarter from Tora Tora. It's an honor. What's happening? Hey, man, <laughs> I'm happy to talk to you. It's been a second. It's uh, been man, a second. Uh, I, I wish more people were that excited to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man, we're, we are. We're thrilled. We've had, man, the craziest stuff going on, man. I'm not kidding. I'm, uh, when you were just talking, when you said Circus of Power and Dangerous Toys, of course, we... We toured with those guys. It was us and L.A. Guns. Yes, I remember Toys. that. I God, wasn't old enough to get into the show, but I remember it. <laughs> some of my favorite memories ever. I'm not kidding. We just we we clicked with the Dangerous Toys guys just because we kind of had a southern thing going on with them. But the L.A. Gun guys were so great to us. Mm-hmm. They, uh, I think we kicked off the tour in like Dayton, Ohio. I think is where it was. Mm-hmm. And they said meet downstairs in the in the hotel lobby, you know. And we were we were pretty green, man. We hadn't been on the road very much, and we didn't know what to expect. And man, we walked in, and they had everybody meet in the bar and have drinks and just told us get ready we're fisting to have the best time for the next you know six or eight weeks we're just freaking fisting to throw a party oh man uh, what a what a great introduction man it was so great we just man every night i mean it was just it was so fun we were fans you know we were watching them every night and listening and it was just fun and i I still i stay in touch with jason I, i talked to him maybe a couple of months ago and uh and we just played in austin i was actually looking for him down there when we played i was hoping i'd get a chance to catch up with him but unfortunately i guess our schedules missed each other but Mm -hmm. anyway he's still the same his voice is incredible i mean he's got three or four bands he's working in the broken teeth and toys and yeah you know watchtower i mean he's done all kind of stuff but man he was always just such a down-to-earth guy and man he's so talented his his voice is the same he hadn't changed a bit he looks exactly the same i mean it's just it's crazy they're just they're awesome and we're happy i think we're going to get to see them uh this in this next uh in this next year we're going to bump into them somewhere i'm sure so oh that is going to be amazing that's going to be great man we're ready to to get back out and and see some of the some of the folks man some of the family that we hadn't seen in a long time we we were laughing we kind of jumped out and did a few shows um and we've walked up some folks and they said, man, you don't remember me. And we look at each other and go, yeah, man, I do remember you. <laughs> we were partying our brains out last time I saw you and we had a ball. But it's just, man, I don't know. I, I guess it's we're getting to do this uh, together. It's the four original guys from Tour Tour. Man, we've been friends since we were, you know, in high school together. Right. And to, to get the opportunity that Frontiers gave us just to to go in and and recreate that uh, time together. You know, when we walked in, I'm not lying, man. When I walked into the, the rehearsal room, I closed my eyes. The music came on, and I, I could smell, like, stale beer and cigarettes. And I was like, yeah, I remember this. And I was ready to jam, man. I'm not kidding. And then I opened my mouth, and I was like, wow, 
I'm a little bit older than I was last time I did this, but <laughs> it felt great. It felt really good. The, the music, we were, I guess in our minds, had always thought we would get a chance to do this. We'd been um, kind of on and off doing one-offs and stuff since about 2008. Yes. And, yeah. And so we wanted to do some recording and stuff. We just weren't sure when the timing was going to be right. And then a couple of years ago, we got a little more serious about it. About the end of 2016, we started talking about, you know, we – we ought to do something. And honest to God, going on the Monsters of Rock cruise really sparked a lot for us. Uh, Patrick, our bass player, had kind of had a health scare, and he got it all clear from the doctors. Yeah, I remember was that was a, that was a big deal too. And I was so glad to see that he came out of that. Like, just, yeah, man, it know. was it was pretty amazing. He actually had gone um, in for something else, and they just happened to see that. So I mean, it was kind of like divine intervention on, from our point of view that he was there and they caught everything in time and he's, he feels good. He's in good health. And that was the first thing he said is he said, I want to go play some shows as soon as he started feeling better. And, uh, we had already blocked out some time to go on the monsters of rock thing. And man, just to see his face on the boat, he was lit up. He couldn't wipe the freaking smile off his face. And we were there with all the people partying. And I mean, it was just like, Oh my God, it was all the bands that were there were incredible, but it was just, it was, incredible just to get back around everybody just in our community man it's it's a small community and it's the people are tight it's, you're like family man i'm not kidding we when we right. think about it we see people and we partied with them and stayed out all night you know and mm-hmm. especially playing around in memphis i mean we knew everybody there growing up and so when we play we got a show coming up on december 29th um at minglewood hall in memphis we've been kind of put, promoting that on our social media and stuff but I know I can look out in the audience and like individually look at each person and go, man, I partied with this dude, man. I had a great time. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I can but think of it. That's great though. You know, like, like when so you fun, haven't lost man. that, that when you haven't lost that, that connection, because, you know, I, which is again, why I'm so glad I'm getting the chance to finally talk to you. Cause I feel like you and I have been like Facebook friends for like a, few years and I was always like oh well we're gonna try to make figure this out and then finally it happened but like you know it was it was one of those things that there's there's like this handful of bands from my youth that that I really hold you know to this high standard and I don't know I I couldn't always explain it and even to this day like you know it's like you know you have like Iron Maiden and Alice Cooper and Priest but then like on this other hand you know you had like like I, like I mentioned, like Dangerous Toys and Circus of Power and, you know, you know, um, uh, yeah, oh gosh, even, you know, you know, Tora um, Torah, Torah and Man. just, you know, just like, you know, Junkyard, you know, all these bands that I think what it was that clicked with me was that coming from this like frumpy looking fat kid with bad hair, you know, in high <laughs> school was that like, you know, you'd see these really good looking rock gods right and you'd be like well fuck man you know i don't know man and then all of a sudden you, you know no I, and I definitely mean this in all due respect but then you see bands like tora tora and dangerous toys and they're coming out in their jeans and t-shirts and that's yeah. it and i'm going oh well shit i can do that <laughs> you know what i mean man, like yeah. i don't have to look like that you know so like i really grabbed onto that but then of course along with it comes the music and then 
I, you know, I was I was trying to get myself kind of set up for the interview today, and so of course I found myself going back, and you know, I, I you know pulled out my uh, my vinyl copy of Surprise Attack, and which you know, oh I, wow, I, vinyl which, man, that's yeah. pretty that's pretty special, man. Well, that's pretty good. Well, well, I actually I actually have been waiting for you guys to sign that since the since the Wild America tour, so we're gonna make this oh, happen. Man. We're way overdue. <laughs> we'll have to do it. We're down there. We're coming in March, so man. I I know that rock, rock Lana thing. I'm telling you, Bradley. I I hope he's listening to this podcast because that guy is incredible. We've had the best time. We got to know him and talk to him, and he is just he's a first class character, man. I'm telling you. Well, that's I he's, mean, he's great. He's he treated us really well. We went and did some shows up in the the Northeast and and played one with him. And we're looking forward to doing some more business with him. I know the Atlanta thing is going to be great, but that'll be a, an ongoing relationship for us. Yeah. And, and that's kind of uh, what I was going to talk to you about too, is because like I said, like w- with, with the music, you know, it played such a big role for me, but when I listened to surprise attack today, and then I went back and listened to wild America, like, I mean, I reviewed wild America for my, for my blog, probably a few years ago as just like kind of like a retro review. And it is, uh, does it, does it, I mean, I'm trying to find a way to say this still without you f- feeling like you're on the spot, but like, does it, when you go back and listen to that, does it surprise you how timeless tour tours music is like, or, Man, or do you think that that's like, it, we, it's that Memphis blood, do you know what I mean? Perspective on it. But I, I will tell you this, that the wild America went both of those records that the guys that produced them is, mm-hmm. is what blows me away. I mean, we were a, you know, a, a rowdy little garage rock band and we got in the studio with joe hardy and paul ebersole on, on surprise attack mm-hmm. and paul ebersole is it's really he was the guy that brought us in to getting a production deal at the studio and then getting signed to a&m it was his kind of first big project he was young like we were and then they had joe hardy who had already kind of been established he had had all the cz top afterburners and you know, there was their records were hanging all over the wall. He had had a bunch of success with all kind of bands, but they took us in. And man, they back then you had time to groom yourself as far as in the studio. Budgets were different. Time frames were different. It's not in the expediated role that it is now. Like, you know, right. you're trying to go lean and mean these days and, and stay as, you know, stay away from front loading yourself too much on the on the, the budgets and all that kind of stuff but back then we there was an opportunity for you to sell physical product you could you could dig yourself out of a, a pretty big record budget i mean think about it we were selling cds for 10 or 20 bucks at walmart you know right it only costs a little bit to manufacture but anyway that's a whole nother story but anyway joe and them were so patient and they were so great to us and Man, we built those records. We would do, you know, write and write and write. I mean, 50 or 60 songs probably through a year. Mm-hmm. But we would go in, we would cut five at a time or four or however many, you know, handful that we had. We'd sneak in in the middle of the night <laughs> and set up in the studio and, and record them. And then out of that batch, we would pick, you know, okay, this one is the one that beats everything else. Now here's the bar. Now let's go back in. Now we got to beat this one to mm-hmm. get it on the record. And so we did that over and over. But I guess what I was trying to say when you said when you listen back to the production and everything, man, they like honed our sound, man. I'm not kidding. Joe and Paul and them, that we tried all kind of amps. We would, you know, change out the snares and the heads and the amp. I mean, 
it was crazy. But we've really, really had uh, a great time on Wild America. The, the the first one, we were just trying to get used to being in the studio. Like it was a new process. And, you know, I could hear myself singing. And I was like, oh, my God, man, I can, you know, I can hit any note I want to. I can hear, screech, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, and it was amazing. I was used to everybody on 10 and I was standing there with like one speaker. Right, know, right, at, right. At, at rehearsal or whatever. But anyway, that was amazing. But Wild America was different because we kind of owned our our skills like we went out we we weren't we had gone on the road we had never traveled before so we went out and our eyes were like wide open i mean we went man there's a huge big old world out there and we came back to write for that one we worked with a guy named john hampton and a guy named joe uh jeff powell he assisted on it and then there was a guy that came in at the end and did some remixes arthur payson that had done some rap and mitch malloy stuff but man that second record it just felt different like we were a little more worldly. We were a little bit more confident in our abilities. And, you know, you, you, as a creative person and a musician and stuff, you're always your worst, your hardest critic. You know, you're always trying to get better and come up with cool chops and things. Oh, absolutely. Outdo yourself. I mean, that's just a normal creative thing, but but we had a little bit, not that we were like overconfident or cocky or anything, but we were just, we felt like, man, you know, we were playing 11 shows in a row or something. I mean, we were tight, man. The, the drummer and the bass player were like locked in on each other and mm-hmm. Keith's riffs. I mean, he was rehearsing and playing and, you know, every night and, and I was singing every night. So we were in pretty good form and John and them, that was another time we worked on that record almost, you know, a year and a half or two years while we were touring for, for surprise attack. We were, woodshedding all those songs and putting them in and going and sneaking in when we were out of t- you know coming in from out of town and both of those i'm really really proud of man our our my favorite i think is the wild america sessions just because we had gotten a little bit more worldly about you know our craft and everything but surprise attack was just like incredible man we walked in and and heard the mixes and everything with joe and then we were just mm-hmm. freaking out man we thought it was the coolest thing in the world but, I can, um, yeah, I mean, when you because when you're a young band and you're, I mean, I've even had that experience myself with my own band. You know, is that like like you said, like when you're trapped in a room and you're woodshedding and you're coming up with these riffs and you're hearing yourself on like a shitty PA with like a blown speaker or like yeah, you know whatever, yeah. and then all of a sudden you go into the studio and you're like, wow. That's what I sound like when I sing. Jesus yeah, Christ, man! man. Right. Like, like wow, but it—it's it, like good. it sounds different. It yeah. opens the world up to you. But I always thought that to me, Wild America was very like the growth between Surprise Attack and Rise Amer- uh, 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 and Wild America. I always thought was to me akin to how the black crows grew from shake your money maker to um southern harmony musical companion you know what i mean like you've got your first album and you've got your second album but then within that span it's almost like you could have very easily done another surprise attack but it was so weird to me because what i felt when i and what i still feel when i listen to wild america is I feel like I'm actually hearing Tora Tora. I'm hearing Memphis. I'm hearing Man. your roots. I'm hearing the horns. I'm hearing you know even oh, yeah. even just the lyrical you know subject matter you know of songs Man, like yeah. you know like you know you know lay your money down and you oh know, yeah. You know, 
those were fun, man. God, it brings back so many good memories. And oh, by the way, man, the Black Crows, we're, we were huge fans of theirs. We, we actually played a show with them when they were Mr. Crow's Garden. I think every band has played with Mr. Crow's Garden. <laughs> it was funny. We did the Cotton Club. I don't know if you remember that place or not. but we I were... do remember the Cotton Club because there were so many great shows I was not old enough to get into. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> we saw them and we, we listened to them when they were playing. And we were like, man, these dudes, they just have this sound about them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this DJ friend of ours in Memphis that helped break us, his name is Malcolm Riker. He worked for a... Uh, a station back then called Rock 98 that had a locals only show and he was real close to everybody in the Memphis scene. He he got in touch with us on the road and he said, have you heard this band, the Black Crows? And we were like, no, man, you know, we're, he said, they cut a Memphis song. They cut um, Hard to Handle from Otis Redding. And he said, it's going to be a, a huge success. It's going to be a, a monster hit. <laughs> that is <hit."> so great. <laughs> and we couldn't believe it. We started backtracking and we remembered Mr. Crow's Garden. We said, that's those guys. That's that sound that they had. That was it. We couldn't believe it. You know, we were like, oh my God, they were telling us that they were getting ready to, you know, go out on the road and, and, uh, and they were working with a producer, you know, and you heard that a lot on the road. Every, you know, everybody we were playing with, people would have things they had going on. But I mean, they, when they came out, man, they exploded. I mean, it was crazy. Oh, that and it is. it's just good old Southern rock, man. I mean, it was just great, man. It was just, he was such a good singer, soulful, and the music was great. But anyway, when you said that, I just got to thinking about it. But man, yeah, the, having the horns on the record, I mean, until they passed away, I stayed friends with Wayne and Andrew. Oh, uh, wow. When we met them, they came up, we used to have a rehearsal studio that was a, it was about a mile or so from Arden in Midtown Memphis. And it used to be an old jingle studio, so it still had all the two-inch glass in it. It had a room A and B and an upstairs echo chamber and all that stuff. Well, we had, we had rented it to do our rehearsals in. And uh, it kind of looked like a old hippie commune kind of. There was all these buildings that were kind of beat up next to each other, but right. it was perfect for us. You know, it was soundproof, and we could get in there and crank up. But anyway, the horns came in, and uh, they felt like we had known them our whole life when we started talking to them. I mean, they talked to us about riding around with Otis Redding. They said we were an interracial group of musicians, and they said we would be hungry and be scared to pull over because we thought somebody was going to get killed a different time you know but wayne and andrew at the time were kind of the 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 marquee players they were out with like sting and uh the robert cray band when we met them this was probably like 91 or something like that right but they had played on like 300 number one records but they were just the most salt of the earth i mean wayne just said man you know what i'm a guy from arkansas out in the middle of the cotton fields i never really thought about that i was going to be a world traveling musician or he just never approached it that way he just always stayed humble and that whole experience with them just touched our life man i'm not kidding it was it was so great and they were so nice we actually got to play on their 25th anniversary party in memphis while we were working with them and we got an invite to do that and then once we did that with them, we said, hey, we're playing this amphitheater down the road uh, in Memphis. It's called Mud Island. And we said, why don't y'all come be our guests at that one? And so somebody has sent me over the years a video that was on a DVD. And it was somebody had a camcorder backstage and was walking around with it and got me and Wayne and everybody joking around backstage, you know, having drinks and pointing at the camera and cutting up. I mean, it was just <laughs> priceless, man. It was 
I was so happy that somebody caught that time together. You, you know, know, it's so he, funny because really yeah, as, as, as many as many people who complain about nowadays, like like filming shows with cell phones or anything, with that which I do agree can get out of hand. There's times in my life where like I would have killed to have seen like you know, that that Tora Tora performance. Do you know what I mean? And like you know, no one was there with a camera. You know Man, what I mean? I gotta be honest with you. That show with them. It was it was Wildside and Roxy Blue, who was another band from Memphis. I remember, yeah. Geffen. Yep, and, and I remember us. Roxy Blue very well. And that night was so, it was so special. It's one of the my favorite ones ever. We broke a record, an attendance record at the at the uh, amphitheater that night, and and the stage when we were on stage with the Memphis Horns, we had a guy sitting in and a guy named Greg Redding that played B three with us. And the horns, it just, it was a totally different show than any, than anything we've ever done. I mean, it is, it was just felt different. It was just, it was magic. The weather was perfect. It was beautiful. Everybody was just partying their brains out, going crazy. And it's one of my highlight, uh, all time favorite shows. But um, that man having the horns and stuff was, it was a step out for us. You know, we were a little four piece or a little three piece rock band with a singer, you know, so having the horns and everything was it was different, you know. When we first started recording, we had uh, Bobby Keys and Jim Price, who had done, you know, the stuff with the Stones. They oh, came in, yeah. And Jim had written a big chart arrangement, and everything. It was real busy. It was it was moving around, and we all got in the studio and got to talking. And we said, "Man, you know, if we do this, we're going we're going to have to travel with a horn section because it, it's just it was just too dominant in song." And then somebody said, "Hey." Why don't we call Wayne and Andrew? Why don't they just come by? They're in town for a minute off uh, off the road. Why don't we have them come by? And they, it was two different, totally different styles, you know? Yeah. Uh, the horns were kind of a little bit more uh, not as busy, and they just had this sound about them. And, and we got to listen. We had both of the horn sections, you know, that we could A and B switch back and forth between. And finally we said, man, let's do – Let's stick with the horns. Let's do that. We thought we could pull the song off, you know, live without them. Yeah. The way that they had done it. So, but I anyway, mean, it that was, was the just, whole it thing. Was, crazy. was that uh, like, like, the, like those horns on dead man's hand, you know, it's just like, yeah. you know, it, 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 it works. It's, it's almost like they knew because like you said, like they knew how to, they knew how to play with a band, you know, yeah, and they man. knew how to, how to make something that, could potentially mean that they wouldn't be there to play it you know what i mean which is kind of crucial yeah. to being a session player because yeah. you have to have enough foresight to kind of look at it and go okay yeah i know i'm here to do something but i also have to kind of keep in mind that these guys are going to be playing this without me you know so you've yeah. got to kind of the song comes first you know, it was kind really of deal, fun, man. You know? They're such sweet people, man. I, I have the best memories of them. We, we had great, great times with them, not only just doing music, but just hanging out. I mean, I ended up, I moved to Nashville. I've been up here about, I don't know, thir 13 years or something like that. And, but uh, Wayne had migrated up this way too. So, I mean, I, I stayed in touch with him up here and then he moved back to Memphis before he passed away. You know, oh, we kind of stayed on each other's on each other's radar but anyway yeah man the wild america was just it was one of my craziest experiences i'm telling you we we loved the recording process was nuts i mean we probably wrote no kidding about 60 or 70 songs for well, those sessions 
Well, that's what I was going to kind of segue into because um, you guys did write a, a, like a shit ton of material for those albums. And then like a few years ago, um, actually, it's less than a, it's more than a few. God, I can't believe it's already almost 10 years now. Um, there was a there was an, uh, a, like a small label called TNA Records. That, um, yeah, it was FNA. FNA and Records. It, it's a guy it out of Nashville. Of he course, I would say TNA. It. Of course, you yeah, know what no, I mean. It makes sense, <laughs> man. Yeah, absolutely. No, um, there was a guy up here. His name's Steve. Uh, that was in Nashville. He came up to uh, and approached me and said, asked me if we had any um, existing material that didn't go out. You know, for the from the tour sessions you know mm-hmm. and uh but we had i had some demo tapes none i could i didn't have rights to any of the masters or anything that we had cut for a and m but i said man i got some some demo stuff that i could probably get my hands on that we had just demoed up and stuff and um it was for us i think it was more of just collecting those snapshots like we had things on cassettes and dats and all these different it was just sprawled out all over the place and we said hey man this might give us a chance to like uh organize this material and just put it in a in a in some kind of order you know order right. especially like chronologically where we could put the songs in what sessions and all that kind of stuff cuz so that, that was, was yeah fun. that was my cuz that was going to be my big question was because uh, I, I know it was it was split into like um it was split into like three albums i think it was um it was misbehaving before and mm-hmm. after and bombs away and yeah. um do you recall which of those uh, like what sessions each of those came from or or did they get yeah, mixed yeah. out through no no the the before and after but the before and after was we had an ep before we got signed to um a&M it was called to rock to roll I remember that it was like a super rare sawed off yeah like when I was in high school yeah I uh, oh my gosh I wanted one so bad when I was in high school it was funny (laughs) so we had we had pressed those uh cassettes up and we went our guitar player Keith went and put them on consignment at music stores so we'd put them by the register Uh and just leave them up front and we worked out some deals with them. He was pretty business savvy back then. He was pretty like a little entrepreneur. And, uh, but anyway, those, yeah, those, <laughs> that, so half of that record is that EP. And then there was some, some home demos that we did like on a Tascam eight track or something mm-hmm. that we transferred to put on the after. And that was after the, or during the, the last sessions for A&M, it, we had a different rehearsal space that was out by the airport, and we had done some recordings oh, and stuff right, like that. right, right. So the before and after were those two. It was at the be- very beginning, and then it was the very end, like right before we the, the record got shelved. And oh, that's so, okay. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Then Bombs Away is the surprise attack outtake. That's so kind of what that's things, what I was thinking because, yeah. yeah. That we had, we had cut these songs, and then – when we went, got ready to go in and go into master mode and, and really cut, you know, for A&M and all that, these were the ones that didn't make that round, mm-hmm. you know? So it's kind of fun. If you, if you listen to us a long time ago, it would be fun to just see the ones that made it and didn't and kind of look and compare and all that kind of stuff. And then the uh, misbehaving was one that were the ones from the wild America, you know, time. So, but man, it was crazy. That, that rehearsal room we had, <laughs> there was like, three or four bands that were 
artists that were rehearsing in there that were uh-huh. uh, affiliated with art and studios. So we had some of our friends there. They went into a band. They started out as Dots, and they were one of the bands in Memphis that they were the band that we opened up for before we ever had a following or anything. And we became friends with them and we stayed friends with them all through till now, till today. Right. Our, uh, our drummer, John is actually playing in a, a band with the singer from that band called fever tree. That's out of Memphis. And they're, they're together doing some original stuff. But anyway, it was us. And then they had changed their name to Johnny gray, which was their new project they were working on. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy named Eric Gales. I don't know if you've ever heard of Eric Gales. Oh, Eric Gales, the guitar player. Fucking fantastic, man. man. Well, listen, we were all in the the white. He had the white shirt and the hat and everything. I totally remember him. Yeah. If you have not seen him lately, you need to look him up now. He is freaking tearing it up, man. That dude is, he's rocking. I'm not kidding. But we were little kids. We all grew up together and we've all been friends for, you know, 25 or 30 years so yeah. it just when i think about that era and all that stuff i mean we were just it was some of the best times of my life man we just that's all we did is work on music all day i mean i, I woke up every day and that's the first thing i did is go drive to the rehearsal room and mm-hmm. crank the amps on or start working on lyrics or run to the studio or whatever it was it was you know it was a full-time job man what, yeah. that's what we were doing we we're working on it but uh man i love all that stuff i love the the wild America stuff. And, you know, there was a point there where a little bit of some music came out that was off the revolution day sessions, which was, that was going to be my next question was that with the revolution day thing was, yeah, it was a little different time period because that's when like all the grunge stuff had happened. Yeah. A and M had Soundgarden who just exploded. I mean, they were just all over the place, man. I mean, and that Chris guy, I mean, he was just an incredible singer. Their whole band was incredible. And so it was, it was rough for us. We were kind of vying for attention, you know, trying to figure out where we fit in uh, everything. The whole paradigm of the music industry was shifting, you know? And so that was a little bit of a darker time. And we were all kind of feeling, you know, a little bit of pressure, man. We had done wild America and went out in support of it on the road and we came back and we were like, hey, man, there's a lot kind of riding on these, you know, these next few sessions that we do because we got to deliver something that's going to just, you know, completely blow the thing away. So right. I know that all of us individually as band members were feeling that of like, hey, we really want to do something amazing. And we were writing with some of the same people. The Memphis Horns came back. So, our, you know, girlfriend or, you know, musician girlfriends mm-hmm. were there singing backups with us and doing things. So we were we were real focused on the sessions and stuff and we were kind of just riding out the that the ambers of what had been going on right it kind of been hot for a minute and then it was kind of like we were riding that and trying to see if we we're going to be able to sustain ourselves you know in retrospect anyway when we were in the thick of it we weren't thinking about that at all we were kind of just in survival mode you know just trying to meet the requirements and everything of the record label and uh but it was it was a a very creative time. We were trying to find a way to still be Tora Tora, but not do the same thing that we did, but take it somewhere new creatively for us, you know, to right. keep growing and keep doing things. So it was a little bit different record, but I'm, I'm glad that the demos ended up finding the light of day. There was, uh, there was a time where people were kind of looking for it and couldn't find it. And then we just said, you know what, let's just, the things that we do have that we have control of, or that we have access to, let's go ahead and let that out mm-hmm. because there were some versions of it that, 
I think somebody had burned them off like a cassette or something, and the, the tempos were wrong. Like it was. I was actually up. gonna say it was really weird because I remember something happened where like something popped up on like eBay or something where somebody uh-huh. was selling like. I don't know Some if Tora Tora reels or something. Yeah, I don't that, that. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember that? And I and I just yeah. remember thinking like, holy shit, because like aside from like you know uh, the the demo, you know, like you know, uh, Revolution Day was one of those things that like was almost kind of hearsay because like you know at least like me and my friends, you know, when we were still into still into you guys, like we were like. D- did they did they ever do another album? Like what happened? And then we you would start to hear about it. And then when I saw that pop up on eBay and it was going for like thousand dollars or something, I was like, oh, f- <laughs> fuck the person who buys that thing, man. Yeah, they better record. <laughs> better give it back to the band. That's, That's what right. I was like. I was like, I was like, if I had the money, I would have bought that shit and fucking given yeah. it back to you guys and been like. Take this to the studio and fucking put it out, you know? Yeah, bake that bitch. Yeah, that's right, man. So, but anyway, it that that was amazing. We got to do that. It, it's uh, I, I am proud of the songs that are on there. There's a few of them. We wrote a song called "Shelter from the Rain" with Taylor Rose, who had worked with Kick. It's an incredible, incredible song. Yeah, yeah, we loved that one. You know, he had done Faith Healer with us and Amnesia on the other records. So mm. we came back up here to Nashville and wrote a couple more with him for the third project. But anyway, it was it was incredible. It was a lot. I mean, I could do stories on each one of these for, you know, I sit here all night talking about. It, but it was a good time uh, creatively and stuff for us. It was it was hard from a business standpoint because we were kind of feeling pressure and the A&R guy that had signed us he signed extreme and then he signed soundgarden and then he was uh had us as a third signing and he was at the point where when extreme and soundgarden had had the kind of success they were having he had right. other companies approaching him to to come work for them mm-hmm. and we were really close to him and he told us at one point he said man this is going to be an you know uh, an offer i can't turn down it's going to be they're going to come back with something right and we kind of knew it at that point we were like you know pick the phone up call everybody's studio (laughs) (laughs) record as quick as we can there's you know the ship's going down but i just remember freaking out when when i found out that record was not going to come out it wasn't like if it was going to come out it's like it's not it's not going to come out we're going to shelve it and then i was devastated you know we had been running around for about six years wide open Mm -hmm. and uh so anyway if you we kind of left off at that period where everybody was kind of in a in uh, a little bit of a flux because uh you know we were wondering about going back on the road and some of us were feeling like we wanted to take a break and we just said you know what instead of having some kind of big falling out or some kind of weird situation between all of us let's just take a break and when we get ready to come back you know let's do it and in my mind, I thought it was going to be like a month. Or I'd see it. Oops. <laughs> but, but it ended up taking a little bit longer. And that was fine. I mean, I kept singing and playing. I was real, you know, I wanted to keep pursuing music and stuff, but I kind of wanted to do something different. Well, I you did your own it. thing for a while. You did. You, yeah, you, I kind of went in the bluesy direction. I kind of went and did some acoustic stuff. and it Which, was by the fun. way, I, was incredible uh, and not to be downplayed that like I thought you, when your solo stuff was great. Oh, you know? well, thanks, man. It was it was a lot of fun working on it. It, was, it just showed a you know, different side of stuff. But anyway, if we kind of f- 
flash forward, you know, about 2001, we got together, we did a benefit mm-hmm. for one of our, our crew guys and it felt great. And, but then it still took us a little bit longer. I mean, we would see each other. We always stayed in touch and we're kind of in each other's, you know, vision in our universe or whatever. It was just, right. we were trying to find the right time. And then when it got started getting close to like our 20th anniversary, you know, about 2008, that's when we kind of said, you know what, let's do something. Let's get together and just see if we can still do it. See if it feels good, you know? And from that night on, we did a show in Memphis. We just, this, we've got to do this. We got to stay in touch with each other, even if it's only a few times a year. Right. So those seeds were being sown way back then for what we've done now, which is, you know, in the middle of 2017 or something, we ran into Frontiers and there was a guy named uh, Nick Teeter that reached out to us. And when he said, would you guys be interested in doing this project with Frontiers? We were just like, oh, my gosh, man, it's like the planets are lining up where everybody's at the point where we could do this. Our, our children are all big enough where they're kind of independent and have their own agendas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, we could like take off and do some shows. I mean, on the weekends, you know, sneak away for a, a couple of shows. So, man, w- I believe in the back of our mind through the, those years from 2008 moving on that we had kind of been, you know, woodshedding some some material and ideas, riffs and stuff that we thought, man, if we ever got together, this would really sound good, you know, with the Torah sound on it. Right, right. And we were kind of going to use those, but man, as soon as we got together, we had so many ideas. I mean, we probably had enough for two records when we got together, you know, and just said, man, we got all this to go through. Let's just whittle through it and see what feels good. But we were kind of apprehensive and nervous too, because we were wondering what we were going to sound like now. We're like, dude, what's it going to sound like when we all go in there? You know, we, we're not doing this every night. Like we did a long time ago where we were together 24 seven, but I'm telling you, it was just like we picked up right where we left off from Revolution Day, man. It was like we walked in, and I mean, the first rehearsal that we did where we were just everybody's, you know, trading out licks and arrangements and all that stuff, we were just like, man, dude, this is going to be so fun. Well, it's also kind of like riding a bike in a sense because, you know, you are back with these people who you spent a large chunk of time with, like musically, creatively, and personally. Like, that's that stuff doesn't just dissipate and go away. You know, it's like when it gets rekindled, like it's exactly like you said, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is like, feels like old times again. You know, we, we had a lot, a lot of experience and stuff on an influence on us since, uh, you know, our early records and all that. When we did it at the beginning, it's like the old saying, you kind of have your whole life to write your first record and then you go through these experiences and you kind of catch a time capsule where you are each record, mm-hmm. which back in the heyday, you know, people were doing a record every year, or every two years. But for us, it had been a huge gap of all these things and perspectives and things that have touched your life and things you, you wanted to forget about and things that you wanted to remember and you know, all those things came flooding to the forefront. And man, when we sat down and started working on this, and especially from uh, not to make it all about me, but but from my perspective of coming to Nashville, it's a totally different world than mm-hmm. Memphis. They're they're super super similar. They're they're very um, eclectic musically, and mm-hmm. the, you can walk in any hole in the wall in either city and see somebody that you just go, man, why does the whole world not know who this guy's name is? He's amazing. They both have that element to them, but Nashville is much more 
um, structured, like corporately structured with the labels and publishing companies and all that. Right, right. It's it's got infrastructure, you know. And so there's there's uh, there's a double edged conversation we can have about both that. I like kind of the raunchy, gritty thing of Memphis just because I grew up there and that's what I was used to. Right. But up here, it's more about a craft and, and it's more about, you know, it feels like to me it's it's much more business oriented. But the songwriting itself, man, I got exposed to so many people, especially I worked in the publishing world for about, I don't know, six or seven years. And I mean, I heard some of the most incredible songs, man. Dude, I'm telling you, some people that just the way they wrote songs, the way they put words together, the arrangements they did, that definitely had an influence on me up here. And that's awesome and because so, so did that bleed so did that bleed into the um the, the process of making yeah. of making uh, Bastards of Beale? Like Yeah, I think so. I think it influenced us. I think it it, it did on me as far from a from a uh, from a lyric standpoint and from building uh doing arrangements you know right um it was just a lot of fun i mean it it just seemed like we, it was so comfortable like the the whole experience we had a lot of creative control over what was going on there was no pressure from frontiers they were like mm-hmm. you know you guys have at it just go cut us some uh, a great record and we we worked on it we started uh we signed the contract with them back in november of 2017 mm-hmm. and, and we had when we had Patrick's event. We we did a, a fundraiser for him and did a DVD to raise money. I remember money for that. Him. Oh yes, yes. When we did that, Jeff Powell, the guy that I talked to you about earlier from Wild America, he was an assistant engineer back then. Mm-hmm. He was our age. He was the the young gun in the room with us. So when the when the work people left the studio and the producer and everybody left for the night. <laughs> he was the guy that got locked in the studio with us to make sure we didn't push the record button and record over the masters, you know, <laughs> while, we're in, while we were in there partying and stuff. And he just watched out for us. You know, he's like, Hey, here's the volume knob. You can twist it all you want to. Just don't touch anything. Don't touch else. that button. You know, we can replay it a million times tonight. If you want to, that's cool, but just don't touch anything. But anyway, we spent hours and hours and hours with him. And so he got up on Patrick's behalf at that benefit mm-hmm. And, and said a few words, and then he watched the show. Well, a couple months later, he wrote me on Facebook. He was in England, I think over at Abbey Road or somewhere. He had, he had worked with um, Tom Dowd. He had worked under him. Oh, right, yeah. His te- uh, recording techniques and all that. And he's had a lot of success. I mean, he's, he's very humble, but he's, man, he's incredible at what he does. But anyway, he said, man, I've been thinking about y'all. He said, you just have a certain sound. It sounds like Tora Tora. He said, "Would you like to come down here to Sam Phillips Studio?" He goes, "I'm cutting vinyl." He's got a he's got the lay machine, you know, no. that cuts vinyl. So he said, "Do you want to come cut a couple of singles?" And he didn't know it at the time. We were talking to Frontiers, and we said, "You're not going to believe this. We don't want to come cut two. We want to come cut a whole record." Oh, and so, how incredible, man! I mean, I'm getting chill bumps telling you. It was just like the stars lined up. So we said, "Let's just make a date." where everybody's comfortable or not in a hurry or, you know, under, under the gun, but that we could just come in and have a good time. And we were going to have to do it, you know, quickly because we wanted to keep the budget down and all that stuff. Right. Right. And, um, we just worked it out. We went in in the summer. We went, I think we started in June and we did the whole project took six days. 
but we that's incredible that's we, that's like that's like old days man that's like old it school. was man it was like we did a ton of pre-production because he just said i just want you to be really ready when you come in and he goes that'll save you time on cutting and when we tracked we just went in and did the instruments live and then keith and i went back in and did uh background vocals and um guitar solos but on isn't it record, amazing though that when you do it that way after doing it like the old school way feel like me you realize you go god I, I spent a lot of a lot of time in the studio i probably didn't need to be there yeah <laughs> you know? time and money and all kinds of, we were thinking we looked at each other one time i was talking to keith and i said what were we doing how did it take us two years to do a record and he goes well he goes we were drinking a lot back then we were having a, like a, a lot of fun we were doing a lot of you know experimenting and freaking out so, but but you were probably also writing did, in the studio at the time as well and, and yeah, whatnot we you know whereas That's like true. you know you kind of go into it these days you know i mean i, I i've learned that just you know you know, I mean, I'm 45 now. So, you know, when I started playing in bands when I was younger, making it, making albums with my band, the band I have now, you know, it's like, you totally learn that you go, okay, you know what we're going to do? We have to pick like the eight or nine songs or seven songs that we're going to record. We're going to rehearse those songs for a month and a half. <laughs> then we're yeah. going to go into the studio and we're going to cut right. them in six hours and then we'll spend the next and day mixing, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's like, you know, in and out, man, you know, it, man, it was so fun. I think this recording is the closest to that, uh, first EP, the little Taractural thing that we did when we were like 18 or 19. I mean, it's just, we went in and there's not a keyboard on it. There's no, tam there's not even a tambourine on it. I mean, we just said, let's turn the amps on. Let's walk in. Let's count the song off and let's just let it be what it's going to be. Let's just go in and do it. And man, it was just, it was kind of really fulfilling. I mean, we kind of, I mean, we could have spent a lot of time doing extra stuff and we, and we talked about all those kind of things, but we said, you know what, let's let it just be us. Let's just be raw and, I'll be honest, raw. man. When I heard when I heard Rose of Jericho for the first time, it it was one of those things where like you know you go from, and I'm sure this happens this this happens to all of us music fanatics. You know, is that like you hear something and then all of a sudden you're not 45 anymore with like a lame back. You know what I mean? All of a sudden you're like, God damn, I feel like I'm 17 and yeah, swigging beer with my friend in his garage again. Like it was just like, but like, but not in a bad way, not in the sense that it was a dated way, but like that, like what I loved so much that with what you guys did is that, you guys, and obviously you can hear I'm excited because when I get excited, oh, man, like, I, yeah. I, I'm going to have to take a, a fucking Xanax after this interview because <laughs> I'm like ecstatic right now. But like, oh, man, but just hearing this song, you know, and then like, you know, like there's nothing better than when one of your favorite bands comes back. And not only do they come back, but they come, you know, it's like, it's like, like, like I'm a huge Tesla fan. I'm really good friends. Oh, we did too. We love yeah, them. Man. I'm like really good friends with, uh, with Jeff Keith, you know? Oh and, man, and, you got to tell him that I was talking about him. He's one of my favorite singers ever. Oh, I will kid. totally tell him. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to see it. They're going to be here after the turn of the year at some point. But it was one of the same things where like, I remember telling Jeff, I was like, you know, of course, you know, it's so, you know, weird to me to think that I'm sitting next to you and talking. And he was just like, man, you know what? He goes, but we were just a band. We were making songs and we had no agenda other than just being right then in the now. He said, yeah. so that's why like when, when we came back and we had all this new material, he goes, it didn't, 
it's it didn't sound so weird because we still kind of approached it the same way we did when we were like 20. You know, yeah. and I kind of felt that way with Rose of Jericho is when I heard that I was like, this is like, this is Torah Torah. Like this oh, is like, man, that's so exciting. You, that sounds fun, man. You oh, know? God, that makes me happy. I mean, it totally. We were wondering does. what everybody was going to say. Well, that was the one thing we were like, I wonder what they're going to say when they hear this. If they, it's going to throw people off, or if they're going to say, you know, it sounds like it, they did a long time ago, or it's well, just, it was so fun. We can't wait for everybody to hear the rest of the record. I think y'all are going to get a sneak peek in January. There'll mm-hmm. be something. We got a surprise coming in then, and then the records drop in February twenty second. So there'll be another song and stuff out by then. So you'll get a couple before the record drops. For oh, sure. I can't wait! And 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 then and then you've got um, in March you've got Rocklanta where you're going to be here, uh, which I, I mean I mean like I mean I am I almost like shat my pants, man, when I was like. Jesus Christ! I mean, Roxy Blue, Tora Tora, Lillian yeah. Axe, who's from my hometown God. in New Orleans, Dangerous Toys. Man, yeah, I'm it's like, gonna be a blowout, man. Dude, I it's was like, just a, just those four bands alone, man. I'm like, dude, you've got my Saturday, man. <laughs> I know. I, we can't wait. We're so excited. But we're doing that. Uh, we're doing Rocklanta. Then we do. Uh, we're gonna do M3. We're gonna make our first appearance there. We've never gone. I think it's a. Uh, 11 years it's been going so you're we're gonna have a blast m3 i've i've never been and i keep saying i want to go though but m3 is is it's it's uh, everybody i know that's gone has just said it's it's just a blast you know well we're looking so forward to that and then uh wolfpack productions has got us going out to colorado so we're going out to denver in may the same month as m3 so we'll be out there but we've got some more announcements coming up we're working on a couple of things behind the scenes that we're going to let out hopefully soon for for more shows and um that's what i was just gonna ask is there will there be a little more touring and like a little more possibility of seeing tour tour outside of you know the festivals and whatnot you know we we're doing it now we're kind of just been testing out some of our old markets we went down to austin and uh fort worth and houston and we're we want to go out to the west coast we Mm want to go revisit the east coast we launched out of the east coast a long time ago so we got a lot of friends and and family and stuff up there from the what we call our torah tribe you know the people that we used to run around with so we're looking forward to doing all that i think we're you're going to see us more active probably next year it's the 30th anniversary of surprise attack so we'll be out doing some promotion on that i can't believe i'm saying that man it's like a blink i can't believe you're saying that dude because i was like good lord i remember buying that album when i was in 10th grade man i was like jesus we're just we're thrilled about it though we're gonna do a little bit of that we got the frontiers thing going on and then we would love you know, bucket list for us would be to go do some dates in Europe. Uh, we just, we're trying to work on that. There's nothing like, you know, in writing or cutting stone or anything, but we're kind of looking around because we've never done it as a band. Right. They've never had us up there before. So we want to do that. Um, but, uh, we'll keep you guys, the best way to keep in touch with us is to keep up with us on social media. Uh, it's Tora Tora band on Facebook at Tora Tora on Instagram we're on Twitter um, and it's toratoramusic.com. 
is our website. So you can find us there. That's got our merch on it and uh, the tour dates are popping up and all that. So, Well, that's amazing, man. Well, I only have a couple more questions I've been dying to ask you before I let you go because this okay. is stuff that's always uh, – I love asking bands this. But okay. looking back on your albums, is there one song at all? Or maybe a couple that you look back on and like you just kind of face palm and you go, ah, oh, I kind of wish you wouldn't have done that one. <laughs> Man. Oh, God. Well, some of those outtake records have definitely have songs on them that didn't make the cut. Let's talk about the studio ones, the like ones, the ones that were released. Let's see. Yeah. The ones that were released. I'm trying to think. Um, gosh, I don't know. Each one of them is so different and weird. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. Um, maybe not the song that we did, but maybe my performances. Like sometimes uh, maybe listening back to um, Hard Times, maybe I would sing that different. And maybe it's just because I'm older. Like when I listen back to that one now, it's a little – that was a little more bluesy one. And I really uh-huh. got into the blues later after after the tour stuff was over. Right. Um, right. And then on – trying to think on wild america if there was one um gosh i'm trying to think of the songs now because i'm used to the same old set list all the time. <laughs> uh, you guys better shake it up for me man <laughs> yeah i'll have to think on that i'll, I'll have to think of one because i was actually just saying I was, I was actually just I, I don't know if you saw my comment but i posted on facebook i said i said i said i said i, I got my request in for city of kings so if y'all don't even know that you better start oh, practicing yeah, we did that one. <laughs> <laughs> we did we we've got that one in set i can give that away for sure that one because that was that was i mean to me that was like one of the most awesome album closers like i was oh, just man, like yeah such we a still great playing that one such a great um, one well what about know, the, man what about the other I, way around though like well, what about one that was like like what's one that you never get tired of or like um, that you always look forward to like when you see it on the set list you go like fuck yeah like Man, uh, I'm, uh, I'll tell you one. We wrote a song called Nowhere to Go But Down with Stan Lynch. Oh, it's from one of my absolute favorite songs. Every time I play a show, whether I'm doing acoustic or we're playing tour, I play that one. I love that one. That's one of my favorite ones. Um, man, when you were asking one that I don't, maybe not necessarily would do, at one for the road, maybe mm-hmm. now, that's one off the first record, maybe. I haven't visited that one in a really long time. But, I mean, we literally threw that song together in like 10 minutes <laughs> lyrically it's not very doesn't have any depth or you're kind of like and it sounds like it <laughs> yeah that's, that, that might be my face bomb for that one for that record but i gotta think about wild america we were really picky man it, we all got really protective of the songs we were working on it's funny man because wild america to me sounds so meticulously like like done and in, in, in the sense that like like I can count on like two hands, you know, like uh, like uh, at least in my opinion, albums that I consider to be like flawless, where you can listen to them from front to start to end without feeling like, oh, I need to skip this one. Wild America is in that top. Man, I'm telling range, you, it, you know, it's, the hats go off to those producers and stuff. They were super patient with us. We we did really really bust our ass on that record but it's the it was, songs man i mean it I was mean, a long you, you, way you, man yeah i, I love i love and and your modesty really comes through on this interview which i love but dude seriously it's the songs it's the songwriting it's like oh man everything about so that fun. album was just like 
it, it, I mean, like, even when I listen to it now, you know, like when I, you know, when I listen to As Time Goes By or when I listen to oh, Faith, yeah. Faith Healer or when, yeah, it's Man, so, Dude, I, we I, had so much fun putting that together. Dude, I'm not I, kidding. When we talk about yeah. it right now, I just get flashes of stuff we were partying. I mean, dude, I'll be really honest, partied, man. man. I listened. I was listening to the song "Wild America" as my pump up song before our last gig. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it got it me all fun. pumped. It really you was know? wild, man. That was we went out and saw things that we had never seen before, man. When we went on that tour, that was. Well, during Surprise Attack, before we wrote that song, it was definitely a hat tip to. But I'm telling you, man, that's one thing about the the Bastards of Bill and kind of our theme, I guess, of of the tour thing is it's always been about us and the the family, the the Torah tribe, the people that we're with them, and without them, we we don't get to do this. So we don't take it for granted now that we're older, especially and get a chance to do this again. This record is real geared towards that and about the community. We thought about that and the culture, man, we all want to belong and be a part of something and get together. The world's crazy. There's all kind of crazy crap going on. And when we get together, we forget about whatever it is that's on your mind. We're in there together and it's just, it's powerful. I mean, it just moves us. So that's a beautiful thing because dude that was that was that's a frame of thought that i think that that i carry with my band when we take the stage i think it's a i think it's a frame of of thinking and believing that every band should think of and all i can tell you dude is that god damn anthony i could talk to you all fucking night dude seriously i might have to just come up to nashville and just like spend a weekend with you or something yeah man (laughs) listen this is what we need to do we need to when the record comes out let's get together again and we'll go through the record and i can talk to you about the songs and stuff dude sold man we will do this again man and i'll see you i'm gonna see you in march no matter what so we're gonna have a good time oh man well well anthony dude thank you so much for taking the time out to talk about torah torah and to and to just make 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 this big ass kids dream man. like it's what it's one of my favorite things to do is to talk to the bands i grew up with and that i really looked up to and uh talking to you is a real treat man and well uh, man listen thank you for having me and and thanks for giving me a a a platform a way to reach out to people man i I really appreciate you taking time with me well no problem man well we'll we'll have it up soon and then um but thanks for talking dude and um i'm gonna see you in march definitely Awesome, man. We'll see you down there, man, in March.